if, if you would, to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 1. One more thing I want to say is a special thank you to Kenny. Uh, uh, Steve, Steve just never, hardly ever gets sick. And uh, last night, I get this text that, hey, <laughs> do you think Kenny might be anywhere nearby where he could play? Because, uh, man, if I come, I'm just going to be coughing all over the place. It's not going to be good. And uh, so I, I was like, texted Kenny. I said, hey, Kenny, you wouldn't happen to be going to be in town tomorrow, would you? Would you want to play? I know. I knew he probably wouldn't have his music or his keyboard, so it would be kind of quick, last minute. And he said, yeah, I can do it. Praise the Lord. So, uh, uh, yeah, I appreciate him filling in at last minute there on the keys. Appreciate the worship team and, and, and the sound team. We're just, they're just, they are fantastic at just going on the fly and just doing, and I couldn't do it without them, so we, we appreciate all of that. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, we, about three weeks ago today, we had talked about the names that God has given to us as believers and how important it is that we don't accept the titles or the names that the world gives us or that culture gives us, but that we only believe and receive the name that God has given us and what a difference that makes. And going along with that, what's very important for us is to understand who He is because in His name, His character and His power and His strength is revealed. We sing a song now. Uh, if I would have been smart, I would have probably sang it this morning. It would have flowed perfectly. But uh, what a beautiful name it is. It's one of my favorite songs that we do anymore. Because when you really think about all of the names of God that are revealed in Scripture, then we really begin to understand just who it is that we serve. And just why we don't have to be afraid. And we don't have to worry. And we don't have to live our life in bondage because we serve the Most High God, the Maker of heaven and earth. In Isaiah chapter 1, uh, looking at verse 9, uh, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Isaiah to his covenant people. And he said, unless the Lord of hosts, and by the way, that term Lord of hosts is a military term. It meant God of, of heaven's armies, the one who is, who is able to go forth and bring forth victory. Unless the Lord of hosts had left to us, that's the people of God, the covenant people of God, a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. And then he gives the word to the covenant people of God. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile, that's empty, vain, meaningless sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul loathes or hates. They are a trouble to me. They become a burden. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many requests, I will not hear because your hands are full of blood. Now here's the Most High God speaking to His covenant people. And here's the situation. We talked about how good God is and how powerful He is, and we're going to get there. But the situation of the people of God at this point is they're coming in to the house of God, and they're bringing all the sacrifices that God had prescribed when they come into the house of God. 
They're sacrificing all of the lambs and the, and the goats and the bulls. They're sacrificing what God has called for. And they're burning the incense in the house of the Lord just like God had asked them to. And they're celebrating all the religious feasts and they're observing all of God's commands outwardly. But yet when they came into the house of God, their lives were full of idolatry. They would come to the house of God and they would worship God and, and make sacrifices there. But then they would go out on every hill and under every tree and they would worship to their calf gods and they would worship to, to idols made of gold and silver. And they never put two and two together. And, and the prophet is saying on behalf of God that had God not been merciful to leave a small remnant of the faithful among the people of God. He said, even now in the midst of all of the idolatry, even now in the midst of all the sin, even now in the midst of all the addiction and all the bondage that goes on among the people of God, there's still a small gathering, a small group of people in the midst of your great assemblies whose hearts are completely and wholly devoted to me. And if it weren't for them, you'd be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah was known because God destroyed those two cities. He rained down fire and brimstone on those two cities until there was nothing left of them after having got Abraham's nephew, righteous Lot, and his family, all except the wife who couldn't let go of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. After getting them out, he destroyed those cities. He said, the only reason that you aren't destroyed is because there is a remnant in you. You say, what does that have to do with us today? Because the Bible tells us that Christians are, Jesus said this, you are the light of the world and you are the salt of the earth. Now salt is a curative. It's a preservative. So whether we realize it or not, those who truly love God, those who truly and wholly in their hearts are committed to God, and committed to His desire, and committed to worshiping Him, and knowing Him, and following His command, whether we realize it or not, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your city, and in this country, those believers are the preserving, the curative, the salt of the earth. That's the reason that judgment is not coming. That and the fact that we are under a covenant of grace where the blood of Jesus Christ has satisfied the justice and the judgment of God, and now the Bible says this earth is reserved, judgment is coming, but it's reserved for a day of fire. But the Bible says there's still a remnant of God, but all the time there are people coming into the house of God, offering all these sacrifices to God as if everything was fine. That's the problem. And there's still, I believe this describes our day to day. And we go through, we come in and out of our services, and many times we'll leave the house of God, and we wonder sometimes, especially those who have been around the moves of God for a while, we wonder sometimes. You know, I remember great moves of the Holy Spirit. I remember days and times when, you know, people would pray. I remember the altars being full of people who would pray and intercede. I remember all-night prayer meetings. I remember prayer meetings that went hours and hours and hours along, and, and not just a few people, but more people would show up to pray than would show up to eat when you had a fellowship dinner. I remember days when people couldn't get enough of church. They'd come to church on Sunday morning. They'd come to church on Sunday night. They'd come to church on Wednesday night. If you had a revival and people did, they'd come to church on Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. 
Friday night, Saturday night, kids would still get their homework done. They'd still go to school. Priorities were made on things like that. The whole world was a different place. It wasn't that people didn't have jobs. They had jobs then just like they have jobs now. It wasn't that people didn't have families. They had families then just like they have families now. It wasn't that people didn't have problems. They had problems then just like they have problems now. The only thing that differed was a priority that was in the hearts and the minds of the people. And yet we still come into our churches and we still offer our praises. We don't offer bulls and goats and blood on altars anymore. Now we lift our hands and we stand and we clap and we kneel and we give offerings and tithes and we do all that. And all those things are good. But many times we'll leave the house of God and once we get outside of the house of God, our lives are no different than the world that's out there who doesn't even have a relationship with the Father. Non-covenant people. And we wonder where is the power and where is the life and where is the joy and where is the compassion. The same problem they had here we have in the body of Christ today. Now I'm not here just to talk about a problem because God doesn't just talk about a problem. He shows the problem He describes the problem, but then he gives a remedy. In verse 16, he says, Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn. And I circled that word in my Bible. Learn to do good. The reason I circled it is our culture has become so dark that it's almost something that If you want to know what righteousness and holiness is before the Lord, you have to learn. There there has to literally be a rethink. And as a matter of fact, there's science that's coming out now, and I haven't delved enough into it yet to, to really speak from an educated platform on it, but science is coming in that literally the devices that we hold in our hands now, and beginning now with children, it's not just adults now, but beginning with children, the way that we live our lives electronically, it's literally changing the wiring of the minds in people. Literally, our minds are changing. The way we process things literally are changing completely. The whole world is turning in a different way. Now, I'm not against technology, don't get me wrong. But my point is, if we are to know who God is and how God works, we have to relearn Life. We have to relearn what is good. So he says, learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. So basically what God is saying here is when you really get a hold of who I am and what I'm doing and the way that I work, you become selfless. Life begins to no longer revolve around you. You begin to see the needs of others. Your heart begins to break for others. You, because you see, he says, get involved. It's one thing to say, man, I feel sorry for somebody. Well, anybody can feel sorry for somebody. That's sympathy. And sympathy is as good as far as it goes. But Jesus had more than that. He empathized with people. He had compassion. That means that not only do I feel bad about what's happening in people's life, I feel so bad and my heart is so engaged, I have to get involved. I have to do everything I can do to bring change into people's lives. How many miracles do you read about in the New Testament where it says Jesus moved with compassion, reached out and healed them? Jesus moved with compassion. He would get it. That's where miracles took place because Jesus was so moved. His heart was so touched with the plight of the people around him because Jesus did not come to be served 
but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. And our example today is not our favorite pastor, teacher, or author. And there are some good ones. But they're not our example. Our example is Jesus. And Jesus lived selflessly. So he says, here's what you have to do. If you want things to change, you got to wash yourselves. Well, the Bible says the only way we can be washed is with the water of the word. So as we get into God's word, the Bible calls the word a mirror. When we look into the perfect word of God, the law of liberty, we see ourselves in a mirror there. We see a pure and genuine reflection of who we truly are. And when we see that, the Holy Spirit can deal with us. And as we do that, we'll learn to do what's truly good, and we'll begin to live a selfless life. So now we have an invitation in verse 18. Come now, not tomorrow, not someday in the future, when everything is lined up and it's convenient for you. Because if you're waiting for it to be convenient to change things in your life with God, you'll be waiting forever. If for no other reason, Satan himself, the enemy, will make sure that things are never convenient. So he says, come now and let us, God's talking here, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient. Now, that's, that's a key verse there. Because there's a lot of people who are willing. I could stand up here today and I could say, Hey guys, how many of you want to be forgiven and free? Well, everybody's willing. Yes. How, how many of you want to be healed? Well, everybody's willing. But he says, if you are willing and obedient. It goes past just wishing, hoping, thinking into acting. Becoming, believing so much in what I know, what I've heard, what I believe, believing so much that I actually change the way I live. I change the way I think. Faith moves me into action. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So there's good to be had, but the only way you get it is if you're both willing and obedient to God. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Now that's the state that we're in. I started there because we're going to talk about the hope that we have. That's the message today because of who God is. But a lot of times when we just preach message, oh, God is this and God is that and God wants this and God wants that and God is good and he has a great plan for your life, many times we just kind of glaze over, check out, so, oh, I've heard this before. Everybody on TV says that. And, you know, all the preachers say that. God's good and has a good plan for your life. But this world is awful. And we're in a terrible shape. And everything's messed up. And my life's messed up. And you don't know my situation. I, I don't dispute that. So that's why before I read from the rest of what we're going to read in Isaiah today, I wanted to read Isaiah chapter 1 and give you a little background. Isaiah was not speaking at a time when the covenant people of God had it good. He was not speaking at a time when they were doing everything right and living right and, and everything felt great. He was speaking at a time when they had wandered from God and they were missing the presence of God. But in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning reading in verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now I want you to get this. Unto us. Who? Same people we just read about. 
People who are walking into the house of God with their lives a mess. People who don't even realize how messed up they are. They're going about their sacrifices as if everything was okay when it's not. When God says, I can't even accept your sacrifices because you worship me in one breath and an idol with another. He says, unto us. Because you see, here's the problem. Whether we realize it or not, you can't change yourself. Oh, there are certain things you can do by sheer force of willpower. But that won't change you on the inside. It might change your outward actions and that might help. But it won't change you on the inside. If you really want change, we have to be changed from the inside out. We can try to improve ourselves and we can make minimal level improvements in our life. But eventually we just replace one God with another. We replace one idol with another. We replace one system with another. But only God can really set us free. So he said, unto us, unto a broken people. Unto us, unto a rebellious people. Unto us, unto an idolatrous people. Unto us, to a people who dwelt in darkness, on them came and shone a bright light. See, God doesn't wait for us to get all of our stuff together. He always keeps a remnant who are faithful. And that remnant, the light, the salt, they just keep praying and they keep believing so that the hand of God in mercy can still rest upon the people. But let me tell you something. If you're part of that remnant and you're praying, you better pray now like you've never prayed before. It's time to get into the presence of God and begin to seek God on behalf of the church, on behalf of your family, on behalf of this nation. And never underestimate the power of your intercession. Never underestimate the power of prayer because God hears what you're saying. But for everybody else, I challenge you, if your life is a mess, if you're like Paul in Romans chapter 7, where you could say, all the good that I know to do, I wind up not doing. And the very evil that I know I hate and don't want to do, it seems like I turn around and do it all the time. Don't raise your hand if you can identify with that statement, but be blessed and feel some encouragement that the Apostle Paul knew what you were talking about. And he had a solution. He said, my God, I thank my God through my Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who sets me free from this awful, terrible body of flesh. He's the one that can set me free from the old man who tries to drag me down. So for unto us a child is born. Unto us, no matter how broken you are, no matter how messed up you are. You may think, well, I'm okay, Pastor. I know I don't have it all together, but God's really done a great thing in my life. But man, everybody I know is messed up and I love them and I don't know what to do for them. Well, then you're the light. You're the salt. You're the remnant. And you don't realize what your prayers are doing. You see, you may, not, you may not like where you see your friends and your family, but imagine where they would be if you weren't praying for them. Imagine what their situation would be if, if you weren't interceding on their behalf today. So never stop praying because as long as God is in the equation, which is as long as they're breathing, there is still hope. Because unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. If you, you don't have to turn over there, but in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it's the classic verse where the prophet told the king of Israel at the time, he said, God's going to give you a sign himself. And here's the sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means, interpreted as God with us. You see, we look at a child and we think of innocence, but we don't think perfection. Innocence, yes, 
perfection, no. Because even a child is born tainted with a sinful human nature that's passed down from Adam. But Jesus was birthed in Bethlehem, conceived by the Holy Spirit, without the taint of that sin nature. So this child that was born was not just innocent. He was sinless perfection. And he was the only one who could save us from our sins. The glorious message of Christmas is more than just a stable or, or, or an, a, a hewn-out cave, as it may have been in Bethlehem, and, and a babe laid in a feeding trough. The message of Christmas is that God himself stepped into human flesh, that the Father gave his only begotten Son sinless perfection to be born on our behalf. Unto us a child is born. Unto us the very almighty Son of God is given. The Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. That I read just the other day, and I appreciate the sentiment, and, and, and I don't have a problem. If you've ever said this or read this, I probably said it myself. But the, the person said, I imagine Jesus in heaven saying to the Father that, oh, somebody needs to go for him. The Father saying, who will go for him? And Jesus saying, I'll go. And that sounds great. And, and, and I'm not against people who say or think that. But it wasn't like that. Because biblically the Bible says that from the foundation of the world the Lamb was slain. God didn't come up with a plan the day that Adam and Eve fell. He wasn't taken by surprise in the Garden of Eden when they fell for the fruit of the, knowledge of tr of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God wasn't taken by surprise. Jesus had already been the one who was always going to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. You see, here's the deal, and it blows me away to this day. God knew that man would fall. And God knew what the price for man's fall would be. And God created man and formed him with his own hands and breathed the breath of life into him anyway because he loved you and I so much. He saw, looking down through eternity future, he saw you and he saw me and he knew the price it would take. Listen, had it not been for his love and compassion, you would have never known what life was. You would never know what it was to see a sunrise or a sunset or the beauty of creation around us. You would never know anything of the goodness of God. But God looking down into eternity future, knowing the price that it would take, said they're going to cost me everything, but I love them enough. I'm going to give them life. And he gave us life and the lamb was slain. Even in the garden, the prophecies given that the serpent may bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but he will crush his head, representing that all the authority of the enemy would be crushed by this glorious and blessed seed. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And all of the rule, all of the government, all of the authority is upon his shoulder. And he still rules over everything. Now, you may not think that when you watch the news in the evening. But Jesus is still ruler over all. One of the titles of Jesus that we're given is he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. There are earthly kings and earthly rulers, but Jesus rules over all. The Bible says that God can put somebody in power in a moment, and he can take them out of power in a moment. The Bible talks about how the nations themselves are just like a, a drop in the bucket to God. All of us, the Bible says, all of our lives are always before God. That's how awesome and glorious he is. And he rules, and he's in charge. And the question is, if we believe that, why are we afraid?
Because we are, you know. A lot of times we're afraid. A lot of times we live our life in stress and anxiety and worry. If you went into every church in America today, the people who know the Word of God better than anyone else, hopefully, and then you gauged the level of stress and anxiety, statistics prove that the level of stress and anxiety among Christians is almost identical to the level of stress and anxiety among non-Christians. We deal with it just as much. And what I want to tell you is, the Bible says he keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed or stayed upon him. The reason we have the same results as those who don't know Christ is because our minds aren't fixed upon who we are and who he is. The government's upon his shoulders. He's in charge. You got problems today? Unto you, a child is born and a son is given. And he rules over everything. Don't you think he can turn your situation around today? Well, I mean, do you still believe that? Well, I know we used to. I know we used to, but my question is, do we still believe that God can turn every situation around in a moment? That one word from God changes everything. The government will be upon his shoulder. And his awesome, wonderful, glorious name will be called. See, we, we talk about names. Just like I said a few weeks ago when we talked about the names people give us. In our day, in our generation, we don't think a lot of names. We just name our kids by whatever the popular fad is. We get books to find out what is the most popular name in this time, and we just name them. But in biblical times, they were intentional about names. Names meant something. And they looked deeply into the meaning. Matter of fact, names that they gave their children were designed to be prophetic over what their lives would actually be. That's why the Bible was very clear about who this son's name would be. His name will be Emmanuel. He'll be called Emmanuel because God's going to be with man through him. To Mary and Joseph, he said, you'll name this child Jesus because he will be the Savior of his people. Jesus means Savior. And he'll save his people from their sins. His name will be called Wonderful, filled with awe, reverence, wonderful. You know, one thing I think that would change our lives is if we walked in awe of who our God is again. I, please don't misunderstand me. I'm thrilled with the teachings that have come to the church over the last couple of decades where we understand that God's not distant from us. We understand that God's invited us close to where He is, and He wants us to know Him and have friendship with Him and converse with Him. I'm so glad that that's a teaching that we've embraced, and we should. But we should never lose the sense of awe and reverence and wonder that we even have the ability, as flawed as we are, to talk to the creator of all of the universe. I don't think we should ever use what the Bible used to call the fear of God. Not I'm afraid to approach you, God, in a sense of a negative, but a sense of God. Look at who you are, how holy, how glorious, how majestic, how powerful, and yet you've invited me to come and spend time with you, to be known by you and to know you and to embrace you and to love you and to experience your love. We should never lose 
the sense of just who our God is. The Bible calls him the great I am. We sing that song. When, when Moses wanted to know who he was and who, who he could tell the people of Israel had sent him, he said, tell them I am has sent you. The one who has always been the one and only true God. I have sent you. I am everything you could ever desire. I am everything you could ever need. I am your healing. I am your deliverance. I am your freedom. I am your power. I am your joy. I am your strength. I am your I am everything you could ever be. And that's the God that we know personally. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Everything they'll ever find, that's who he is. And we know him personally. He's Elohim, God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. That's who we know, and we get to know him personally. He is Jehovah, the God of salvation and the God of covenant. And when his names are compounded in the Bible, he is Jehovah Jireh, God who is your provider. You got something you need that you don't have the ability to grab hold of? God is your provider. You are not all alone. You're not helpless and hopeless in this world because we serve a God who provides. You have sickness and disease in your body? We have Jehovah Rapha, God who is our healer. Not another God, that's just another name for him that reveals who he is and why he does. He's our healer. He's also Jehovah Nissi, God who is our standard and our banner. The one who when the enemy comes in like a flood, he raises up his spirit against the power of the enemy and defeats the enemy he already has on your behalf. And instead of walking under a banner of hopelessness and discouragement and failure and defeat, I now walk under the banner that cries out, my God is my standard. He is my banner and his name is the only name I ever need to identify with. He's Jehovah Sidkenu. He's God who is my righteousness. That's what that means. One of the names given to God in the Old Testament. It tells us that I may not be good enough on my own and no matter how good I get on my best day I can't get close to how holy God is but that's okay because he has become righteousness for me. He made him who knew no sin to be made sin for me that I could become the righteousness of God in and through Christ Jesus. So now I can approach the throne of God boldly Every day, all day. I don't care if it's just because I got a headache. I don't care if it's because somebody in the family's been diagnosed with something. I don't care if it's because I got more bills than what I know how to pay. I don't care if I'm discouraged by what I see on the news. Whatever it is, I know I can have an audience with a God who created everything and I don't have to worry about being perfect because Jesus is my righteousness. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. Not only that, he's Jehovah Rohi. The Old Testament reveals him as God who is my shepherd. And Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's the one who said, I lay my life down for the sheep. And if there's one who wanders away, even if I have 99 safe in the fold, he's the shepherd who will leave the 99 safe in the fold to go find the one that's in danger. And once he finds the one that's in danger, he himself will bring it into a place of security and safety and bring that lamb back so that he can have freedom and security and hope. That's the God that we serve why wouldn't we stand in awe of him boy we need our sense of wonder back we need our sense of reverence back I'm not talking about coming into church and being afraid to move I'm not talking about going to your prayer closet at home and not knowing how to talk to him I'm just talking about understanding that I I don't have a problem today and neither do you that God doesn't know God hadn't seen and God doesn't already have an answer for I didn't say God's going to come up with an answer for your problem. I said he had an answer for your problem before your problem ever existed. That's the God that we serve. His name shall be called Wonderful. 
counselor. Counselor. The Bible calls the Holy Spirit the counselor. And if you're a Christian today and you've given your heart to Christ, the Bible says that His Holy Spirit has filled your human spirit. And the counselor, the Holy Spirit, is the Greek word is paraclete. That word means the one that we call to, and He comes to our side to help us. He's the empower, He's the teacher, He's the Spirit of truth who guides us into all truth, which leads us to more and more freedom. He's our counselor. Hey, I know what it's like to wake up in the middle of the night or early in the morning, 2, 3 o'clock, your mind racing, trying to figure out what you're going to do about this and what you're going to do about that. I know what it is to have depression settle on your shoulders and not even know why, not even know where it came from. I know. I've experienced that. I know what it is. I know what it is to not be willing to come out of a room for three days because of a panic that set on me. Happened one time in my life, but I know what that feels like. So if you've ever had a panic attack and you're afraid to leave a room or afraid to come out of the house, I've been there. I know what that feels like. But I also know the counselor. And I know that in the midst of all of that, I've never been left alone. And I know that I can go and approach him And as I approach Him, the Holy Spirit can bring peace and wholeness. He can remove depression. I know that the Bible tells me to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, which is where we get our word depression from. So whenever I'm weighed down, I know that I have access through the Holy Spirit to being lifted back up. Whenever I'm afraid, the Bible says, I will trust in you. I know I have a place that I can take my fears to. I can take my oppression and depression and confusion to. God's not the author of confusion. He says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and upbraideth not. And by the way, that's a word for somebody in this room right now. God says you can keep carrying your stuff as long as you want to keep carrying your stuff and you'll keep getting what you're getting. But when you're ready to seek Him, He's got the wisdom you need. But you're going to have to listen to what He says and do it and quit trying to figure out all the reasons that you have a right not to do it. And that's a word for somebody in this room today. Until you do that, you're going to keep getting the same results you've been getting and God wants to see you free. And you've got to make a decision about what you're going to do. God's got wisdom for you. You can take it right now. You don't have to walk where you are one more second, one more hour, one more day. But as long as you insist that you've got the right to do and feel against what God is saying you need to do and feel, you'll keep getting the same result that you're getting. As a matter of fact, it's going to cycle up and get worse and worse. You've got to make a decision. Who are you going to follow? What are you going to choose? God's put out in front of you today life and death, blessing and cursing. You need to choose life. That's what He encourages you to do. That's a word for somebody in the room. It's a word for all of us, but that specific part, you know who you are. I don't know who you are, but you do. So you need to receive that today. But he's our counselor. He can get you through anything if you'll trust him. He's the mighty God. Mighty. He's not weak. He's not limited. There's nothing he can't do. He's the everlasting father. I love that title probably out of all of that. I love them all. But I love everlasting father. Because that speaks relationship. That never ends. Everlasting Father. You know, Jesus said when he told, taught his disciples how to pray, the first thing he says is, pray this way. And he didn't want them to necessarily pray this rote prayer word for word. He wanted them to get an understanding of the principles. He said, pray our Father. 
our Father. And man, we've taken that prayer and we've made it so religious that people can sing it and pray it and never think one time about, well, oh, that's just that nice. Oh, that's the, I pray our Father, our Father. Our Father. The Bible says that He gave us His Holy Spirit in our human spirit. Romans chapter 8. And that Holy Spirit living in our human spirit enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. You know what that word, if you've been here a long time, you know it. You know what that word Abba means? It's the Hebrew word for Daddy, Papa. I mean, God just gets right down to the nitty-gritty and makes it so relational. He says, the Holy Spirit enables you to cry out to me, Papa, Daddy, Daddy, I'm afraid. Papa, I'm hurt. Daddy, I feel alone. Abba, I'm broken. I'm offended. I'm struggling. Father, you see that? Always, hands up, eyes forward. See, the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. His, he's our mighty God who can deliver and save us, but He's also our everlasting Father. He's in relationship with us. And that relationship doesn't go away. And He's the Prince of Peace. How many of you could use some peace? Well, He's the Prince of it. He doesn't just have it. He doesn't just give it. It's a part of who He is. He's the Prince of Peace. And I love this last verse as we close. Verse 7. Of the increase. Notice that word. I circled it in my Bible. Highlight it. The, of the increase of His rule or authority or government and of His peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. Of the increase. So you see, it's not just that God gave us certain things, and that's what we got. There's a never-ending supply of the increase of His rule, His authority, His power, His government, of the increase Listen, you could, if it were possible, and it is possible, but I mean, if you, if you came to the altar today and somehow a gift of faith got triggered inside of you like you'd never had before, and you got a hold of God like you'd never had before, and I mean, He wiped you out at the altar, and you left that altar with everything you ever desired from God, I mean, health, strength, life, victory, peace, deliverance, I mean, you were walking in it, it wasn't just something you were talking about, praying about, it was tangible, manifest in your life. Guess what? You'd get up the next morning and he would have a fresh supply. You would not have exhausted his supply at all because of the increase of his government and his peace. There will be no end. I promise you today, whether you like the current people who are in authority or not, the Lord tarries, there will be an end. One day it's going to stop. Of every king, every monarch, every dictator, every president, Every ruler, every governor, every, every, every authority and every power one day will come to an end, but not his. Of the increase of his government and his peace, 
there will be no end. So you don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow and thinking, oh man, what are we going to do? What if this? What if that? Well, here's the only question you ever need to ask yourself. If this or that happens, will it change who Jesus is? If you can answer with an affirmative that nothing that can ever happen will ever change who Jesus is or what he's done, then you don't have to be afraid of anything that could ever happen because of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And finally, I want you to see this last little phrase. See, here's the, here's the problem. <laughs> if it were up to me and you to make all this stuff happen, I'd be worried. If it were up to Abundant Life Worship Center congregation to make all, as much as I love you folks, and I think you're the best, but if it were up to us to make it happen, I'd be worried. But it says the way this comes about is this the zeal of the Lord of hosts. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will bring this about. He'll make it happen. He will perform this. So where does that put you and I? It puts you and I in the position of what we have to do is believe it and receive it and then live in it. Isn't it strange that God did all the heavy lifting and He left us with the easiest part and we think it's all too hard? And not only did He leave us with the easiest part, we said what you have to do is believe it, receive it, and live it. He said, but you know what? the only way you do that is by grace through faith. You say, well, I thought that's how we were saved. I believe that about getting saved, but then by grace we're saved through faith, and that's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, that's true. That is how you were saved. But that's also how you live in victory. Because the Bible says, as you have received Him, so walk or live in Him. So the same way you received your salvation, your forgiveness, and your freedom is the same way you receive everything else. By grace, the unearned favor and power of God through faith. I believe in what God has done, and I believe that He did it for me, and I believe that it still works, and I believe that it never ends, and I believe that I'm invited to know Him, and I believe that I'm invited to love Him, and I believe I'm invited to walk with Him and talk with Him, and I believe that I'm invited to be trans... I believe that freedom is mine. I believe that healing is mine. I believe that transformation is mine. Wisdom is mine. Peace is mine. Joy is mine. Why do I believe it because he did it and he said it's mine and he never changes and of the increase of his government and kingdom there will be no end and he didn't leave it up to me to bring it about he did it himself and the zeal of the Lord of hosts brought it about and I believe that he's big enough to do it so if he said all I've got to do is believe it receive it and live in it then he did the heavy lifting I'm going to do that God I receive isn't his name wonderful isn't what he has done for us wonderful wouldn't it be wonderful if we just dare to take him at his word? I want you to bow your heads with me. Father, in the name of Jesus today across this room, God, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we've already felt. We thank you that you've been here with us during, Lord, our celebration and song and worship and praise and Father God, I thank you that your word never returns empty. It always accomplishes what you sent it out to do. And God, today there's a purpose. First of all, 
I pray for whoever it was or however many there were in the room. Lord, that you've got wisdom for them. All they have to do is ask and you'll show them what to do in the situation they're in. But they've got to choose to do what you tell them, no matter how they feel. Freedom's on the other side of not just being willing, but being obedient. That's when they'll eat the good of the land. And Father God, I just thank you that you're going to give them the strength. It's by grace through faith they receive that wisdom. Not only do they receive the wisdom, but they because I think they've already know the answer, but God, they receive the ability to do it. They receive the power to do it. So I thank you they can leave this place with joy, knowing that it's not about what they can do and say and feel, it's about what you've done. And they can just live in that. Father God, I pray for those in this room that you spoke to earlier during worship that, Lord God, we came into this place and sometimes we come in carrying bondages and brokenness, and, but Lord, there's freedom, you said, in the air today. I felt it all morning. There's victory. It's always there, but tangibly it's been in the room today. You're here to manifest freedom and deliverance and victory over our lives. So for those who need that today, I thank you that they believe and they receive that in Jesus' name. And Father God, across this room today, Father God, for those who have forgotten who you are, oh Lord, we know the titles, we sing the songs. But God, sometimes we forget to really stop and think, my God is wonderful. He's an everlasting Father. I can run to Him. He never gets tired of me. He's always close. He'll always pick me up. He's mighty God. There's nothing He can't do. He's the counselor. He can bring me through this problem and He's the Prince of Peace. There's no stress or anxiety or pain or confusion that's too big for Him. He rules with peace. And of the increase of His government, and of His kingdom, and of His authority, there will never be an end. There's always more. There's always more, no matter what I've received so far. There's always more, no matter what I've known of Him so far. There's always more. You've done it, God. And all we have to do is believe it, and receive it, and live in it. Lord, You've called us to freedom. You've called us to holiness. And God, we can walk there because of what You've done. So I pray for hope to spread throughout this room today, for people to grab hold with faith of what you've done and who you are. You're our healer, our deliverer, our banner, our righteousness, our shepherd, our Savior, Jesus. You're the great I Am, Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth. God, nothing's too hard for you. So God, help us believe that. In Jesus' name, across this room this morning, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if, or it's not what it needs to be, you may have prayed a prayer at some point. Maybe you even experienced real change in your life. But something's happened, and that's just not where you are anymore. Jesus is not in your thoughts that much, and what He wants for your life is not really your focus. And because of that, you're not walking in peace and you're not walking in wisdom and you're not walking in strength. I'm telling you that God's giving you an opportunity to come running home 
He welcomes you there. He's your everlasting Father. He's Abba. And the Holy Spirit inside of your human spirit, if you're a child of God already, gives you the ability to cry out to Him, reach up to Him, and He'll pick you up. If that's where you are, would you lift your hand in this room today? If you don't know Jesus at all, or if maybe you do, but things just aren't right between you and God, you, you just know that, and you want it to be. You want to come running back to your Father this morning. If you need to do that, just before we pray about anything else, would you lift your hand anywhere in this room? I want to pray for you. Okay, then secondly, you're a child of God and you love Him. Man, it's been a long time since you did anything but go through the motions. We can all do that real well. We know how. But that's really all you're doing is going through the motions. There is no sense of awe. There is no sense of wonder about who your father is. If I were to ask you the last time you really approached your father in faith, you really wouldn't want to tell me because, honestly, maybe you don't even remember. You can come out with all the right answers and you really do love the Lord. But you're not approaching His throne on any type of a regular basis. Maybe you think you've messed up too much. Maybe you think your life is just too much of a mess or the world is just too big of a mess. and This is just the way it is. But the Word of the Lord is different from that. God said He gave us a child. Son was born. And He's the one who rules and reigns. He's the one who's in charge and He's wonderful. And he's a counselor, and he's a mighty God, and he's an everlasting father, and he's a prince of not confusion, not stress, not anxiety, not fear. He's a prince of peace. And of the increase of his rule, it's always abounding, always increasing. It's never too much. He's more than able to meet you right where you are, to transform, deliver, change, heal. And if you just need that, you need that sense of awe and wonder back, you know you need to just approach the Father. You know you need to come running with your hands up saying, Papa, here I am. God, I'm afraid. God, I'm alone. I feel like I'm alone. God, I'm confused. God, I'm anxious. I'm scared. Here I come. Papa, here I am. I promise you, the Father is there. And His relationship with you is everlasting. He has not, you may have given up on what He can do in your life, but He's never given up on you. And He's waiting and His arms are open. And if that's you and you know that's you, would you lift your hand up because I want to pray for you today. God's ready to reach out right where you are, pick you up in, your, in His arms, lift you up, give you comfort, give you wisdom, give you peace. Anybody else, you know that's God speaking to you. That's your life right now. And you're ready to approach Him. He's bigger than what you think. He's greater than what you think. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And He's ready to meet you where you are. Anybody else, just real quick, before we pray about anything else. Okay? Anybody else, you know God's speaking to you. That's where you're at right now. Okay, the third thing. I know there's at least one person here. There may be more. I just don't know who you are. If I did, I'd call you out, but I don't. But you've been wrestling with some things. God's already given you some direction, but you really don't want to walk in it. I know that sounds strange, but you don't. Right now, you just don't want to do what God's telling you to do. You feel like it's too hard. It's not fair. That's the word I want to use. Not fair. God's saying, that was that word that I stopped in the middle of the message with that word. It's for you. God's saying this. You can keep doing it your way, and you can keep getting the results you're getting right now. As a matter of fact, it'll just keep cycling and getting worse. Or 
You can choose to take the wisdom of God that you're not wanting to take. And then you can get the results that God said you can have. I know that's kind of, it's not, I almost said it's a hard word. That's not really a hard word because what God's doing is offering you life and freedom. But your flesh has you all twisted up inside, torn up and turned around. God's saying, here, I want to show you which ends up again. But you've got to choose this. I'm not going to make you. Here's the question. If that's you, and I don't know exactly how many there are, I just know God was speaking to somebody. So I know there's got to be one. I can't make you choose it. But if you're ready to say, okay, God, I'm tired of the results I'm getting. <laughs> I know you're talking to me. I have no doubt about it. So here I am. I'll do it your way because I want your results. If that's you, would you lift your hand in this room? I want to pray for you, okay? Anybody else, you know that's you, because there could be more than one in the room. I want to pray for whoever it is, however many, okay? Anybody else, you know God's, you know that's you, that's your word. Take it if it's yours. It could be for 10 people, but I knew, I knew there was at least one, so there's two, but it could be for 10. So if that's you, would you lift your hand? Don't miss the moment, because God could be speaking to you too. Anybody else? Okay, let's stand together in this room. Could we all just do something just a smidgen different than we normally do? Would everybody in the room just lift both hands toward heaven, would you? Not only just the ones who lifted your hands for prayer, but everybody. Would you just lift your hands in worship and adoration of our King? Father, in the name of Jesus, with our hands lifted high. Lord, we realize today that we come before the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. You are perfect majesty and you are perfect holiness. And if you had not, Lord, shed your blood for us, we could not even approach you. But through and by the blood of Jesus, we can freely come. Matter of fact, you said come boldly to the throne of grace. And we can know that we have an entrance So, Lord, we come to you. Father God, those who have lifted their hands in this room this morning saying that, Father God, they need that sense of awe and reverence back. They need to approach you again and allow you as their Father, Lord, to wipe away everything, to remove the things that have hurt and hindered and broken them and just to receive your love and your hope again. Father God, I thank you that even in this moment, you're granting that in their lives. Father God, that you're breaking through the the hurt. You're breaking through the offense. You're breaking through the pain. You're breaking through the confusion. You're breaking through the stress and the fear and the loneliness and the anxiety. And Father God, you're reaching down and you're picking them up. And you're, Lord, putting your arms around them and you're giving them strength because you are the everlasting Father, the Counselor, the Mighty God. You are so wonderful, God. And Father God, for the ones in this room, Lord, you've given them direction. There's things that they know. Father, sometimes it's hard to receive that. But Father God, you are a good God. And we say it probably way too much that it's become a cliche, but you have a good plan for our lives. So God, as they give up their rights, their wants, their desires, and they just simply come before you and say to you, okay, Father, I trust you. Because that's what it is, guys. I trust you. So I give this to you. I put it in your hands or back into your hands however it may be I leave it there 
Empower me by your spirit to do this your way. Because God, I want your results, not mine. And Father God, I thank you you'll do that. And I thank you right now, this moment, I thank you hope begins to rise in their heart. Right now, this moment, I thank you God that supernatural peace begins to rise up in their hearts and rule in their hearts right now that it replaces the fear, it replaces the confusion, it replaces the anxiety, it replaces the offense, it replaces the hurt. Father God, as you just begin to envelop them with your presence. And Father God, we just thank you for that. Now, God, we give you glory and praise for who you are and all you've done. Let these words live in our hearts. Father God, I pray that we would be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we'd always stand in awe of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you today. If you need prayer for anything, we'll be around as long as you need us to be. Otherwise, go in the grace of God. Don't forget leadership class tonight at 6 o'clock right here. And uh, those of you who are going to help with the nursing home giftings. Make sure you get with me. I got a list for you.